So we're going to simplify things a little bit, uh, and we are going to kind of graph out our lives. Okay, so I showed you this chart last week. <clears throat> this is kind of our life. Zero is down here at the bottom. This is like worst of the worst. This is everything that could go wrong is going wrong. You don't look forward to any part of your life. It's kind of, kind of a dumpster fire. You know, you hate your job, you hate your car, you hate your spouse, you hate your kids, the whole bit. Everything's awful. Nobody wants to be you. You're the envy of no one's life. That, that's like zero. On the other side of the spectrum, all the way over here is a 10. That's everything's going right. That's, I, I'm living the life I want to live. I love my job. I love my house. I love my car. My neighbors love me. As a matter of fact, if they could be me, they would be me. They just see my life as, as the perfect life, and that, that's 10 up here. Now, what we have to do is we have to kind of graph where we're feeling. And for most of us, we'll fall in between the zero and the 10. For me, I said that was about me last week, somewhere between a 7 and an 8. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're higher to a 10. Maybe you're a little lower than a 10. Hopefully, you're not a zero. I don't think anyone's life here is the dumpster fire. If it is, uh, you need some help. Meet me after church, and I'll be glad to talk. Um, but hopefully, that's not where we are. Most of us find ourselves somewhere on the spectrum, with 10 being the goal, right? 10 being, this is where all of us want to be. That's the 10 out of a 10. That's the fully alive life. That's when everything's going perfect, where everything that I'm doing and everything that I am, it's just, it's hit its full potential. It's exactly where I want to be. It's the perfect life. But we find ourselves oftentimes a little back here. And we're going to label this part in between the zero and the 10. And we labeled this partially dead. Now, I know none of us really like that term, um, but, but we have to label it something. And some of you are probably thinking, but Jim, couldn't we just call it like partially alive? Like that would just make me feel so much better about things. And the truth is we could. I, I, we could call it partially alive. We could call it whatever you want. But let me ask you a question. If partially alive and fully alive are both available to you, they're both options, which would you choose? We would choose fully alive. Like, no questions asked. All of us would want to live a life where everything's going well, where, where it is just, the, we're the envy of the town, where everything's perfect. None of us would choose to live partially dead, although that's where we find ourselves. And I know we don't like that term, but as a pastor, I get to talk to people through uh, some of the best and worst times of their life. And more often than not, as we talk through the worst times of their life, they don't say things like, you know, I know this is going bad and I just feel like, like kind of alive. What, what we tend to say is, I just feel like I'm dying. I just feel, feel like, like something is, is, is like being stripped from me. Something is robbing me. I, the, the joy that was there isn't there anymore. It's not like we're in this position and we think, man, I'm just, I'm just partially alive and it's awesome. No, no, something's taking something from me and I'm not enjoying it. That's why we call it partially dead because this isn't where we want to be. Where we want to be is over here at fully alive, reaching our potential, living the 10 out of a 10 life, living the life that God has ultimately in store for you. And last week, we, we kind of, uh, to give a little more context, we threw something out there that, that kind of fits into this, this construct of our lives that is the truth that we're going to look at this morning, and that's this. We will never experience living fully alive if part of us is partially dead. We'll never experience a life that's fully alive if there's always something in us that isn't reaching its full potential, that isn't where it should be. There's something in us that's pulling us back, so we'll never get to that fully alive life. And the truth is, what we need to focus on this morning is this word here, is that there is a part in all of us, that all of us have a piece of us that isn't where we want it to be. You might be the 9.9 on that scale, where there's just that 0.1 thing that you need to get to hit 10. But the truth is, there's still that point one thing that isn't where it should be. There is a part of us that is causing us to live a life partially dead when we could be living a life that is fully alive. 
And if we were to kind of look, look at this, like what are the things in our life? What are the areas of our life th- that cause us to live a life that's partially dead? We would all come up with a list. We'd have kind of a list of things where we could look, look at and say, these are the things that I think might be causing me to live a life that, that isn't the life I've, I want. So we kind of put this list together. We call it the partially dead list. These are things that all of us would kind of go to as we kind of graph ourselves on the scale. We analyze this part of our life, don't we? We look at our relationships and how our relationship's doing. Is it a 10? Is it a 5? We look at our marriages. We look at our spouse. We look at our our boyfriend or our our, our girlfriend, whatever those relationships might be, our relationships with our kids. Relationships could be a huge issue of why we might not be living fully alive. It might be something emotional something that you've been carrying around, you, you can't put your finger on it, it's something on the inside, you just wake up and you're not happy, you go to bed and you're not happy, good things happen and you're not happy, there's just something in you that you're, you're like emotionally rest, wrestling with that is keeping you from living a fully alive life. Maybe it's physical, maybe you got a bad diagnosis, maybe it's your hip and it's never going to be the same and you walk in constant pain, I, I don't know. But there's something physical in your life that is keeping you from living the life you want to live. That will always keep you from living the life you want to live. And you just, you struggle with that and you struggle with it. Maybe it's financial. For a lot of us, we feel like it's financial. You know, we want the fully alive life, but our bank account is fully empty. So we don't feel fully alive. And there's frustration and there's stress. And and that affects our relationships. And for some of us, it affects our emotions. And and sometimes it can even affect, affect us physically. But we have these things in our life where we could all kind of point to and said, there's something on that list that keeps me from living the life I've won. There's something on that list that, that's keeping me here instead of reaching my full potential here. And if we were to really look at whatever those things might be, if we were to kind of boil it down, really what we'd call that is a thief, right? It's a thief. It's keeping us. It's robbing us. It's keeping us from our full potential. It's keeping us from the life we want. It's keeping us from fully alive into partially dead. The thief is robbing us. Part of our life, it feels like it's almost killing us. And, and you know what's funny? If I were to ask you, <clears throat> um, do you know what, what, what's killing you? Do you know what's keeping you there? A lot of you would say, yeah, I'm sitting next to it. I'm dating it. I married it. I'm trying to raise it. I know what, what, what that thief is. I, I raised it. I, I drive it. I commute to it every, tomorrow morning. Like, I know what the thief is in our life. And we can all kind of address these answers, and the truth is those, those are probably good answers. Those are things we all struggle with. Those are really kind of surface-level answers of, of what it is that's going on on the inside of us. That thing that's keeping us from reaching where we want to reach, the thing that's keeping us from reaching the full life. The truth is, though, this is only part of the answer. It's only kind of the surface of the answer. So today what I want to do is I want to dig a little deeper. And I'm not talking like garden spade dig. We're not just going to like break, break the surface. We've got to dig deep. We've got to get some shovels, and we've got to dig deep to discover what is in you, what is in me, what is in all of us that is keeping us from reaching the fully alive life that God had intended for us. If God really wants all of us to live a life that is fully alive, a life to the full, what's keeping us from it? And it's going to be hard, and it might even be a little uncomfortable. But the more we uncover, the greater potential we have of reaching the life we've always wanted. Now, to do that, we're going to look at, at a passage of Scripture. We're actually going to look at, at a whole book in the Bible. It's the book of Exodus. I'm going to give you a little background on it, but the book of Exodus is, uh, we're going to jump around back and forth. It's kind of the story of the birth of a nation. It's really the birth of the nation of Israel. Um, and as most nations start, at least in this century, thousands and thousands of years ago, they started with a man. This nation started with a man, and you've probably heard of this man before. He's a very famous man. We all know him. We call him the father of Israel. We call him the father of our faith, Father Abraham. Abraham is that man. Abraham's kind of a cool guy. 
right? He's, he's got this, this massive, massive faith. He, he was the guy that God kind of picked out of a group of people out of the whole world and said, hey, Abraham, I want to bless you. I'm going to make you a nation. I want you to take everything you have and walk this way. He didn't tell Abraham where to go. He just said, walk in that direction. Abraham literally packed everything he had up and just started walking, not knowing where to go, not knowing where to stop. The arrangement was, walk that way and I'll tell you when to stop. He had this incredible faith. And he saw God do some incredible miracles. He was an older man. He and his wife, Sarah, they were older people. They didn't have any children. And then at the age of 100, just imagine, the age of 100, she becomes pregnant with her first child. She gives birth to a man named Isaac. And then Isaac gives birth to a man that we know, a man named Jacob. Now, Jacob, he had a nickname. Uh, I had a nickname in college, but I'm not going to give it away. His nickname was kind of cool. His nickname was, was Israel. And the reason his nickname was Israel is because he really was the father of Israel. He had 12 sons. These are his 12 sons. Uh, They all become the 12 tribes of Israel later on. One of his sons, who we're going to look at today, he's kind of the famous son. This is Joseph. You probably heard of him. This isn't Joseph like Mary and Joseph, like Jesus' baby daddy. That happens like thousands of years. That's like, you know, almost a half a book away. Um, this This is Joseph, the son of Jacob. And Joseph has this incredible story. This is Joseph, the Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph, right? The guy who walks around in the rainbow coat. Now, that image kind of scares me, so we're going to jump back to the other one. <laughs> but this is that Joseph. Joseph was the favored son of Jacob. I mean, as parents, we don't like to say we have our favorites. The truth is, we all do. Jacob had a favorite son, and his son, his favorite son was Joseph. He gave Joseph this sparkling Technicolor coat to walk around in. And the rest of Joseph's brothers, the 11 of them, they were kind of hurt by this, as you can imagine. They kind of hated Joseph because of this. Just like you hated the sibling in your family who was the favorite and you weren't. There's this disdain, there's this resentment, and they had this resentment towards Joseph. They were all out in the fields working, and Joseph would come like prancing down the field in his rainbow coat. You can imagine what they would feel, right? They, They hated him. And one morning, this is, this is what happened. Joseph gets done telling him this dream. He has this phenomenal dream that all of his brothers are going to bow down to him and work for him one day. So he tell, tells his 12 brothers who are already out working in the fields while he's dancing around in a coat, hey, someday you're going to bow down to me. And then he comes like walking down the field as they're working. You can just imagine the emotion. They see him and they literally say this, there he is, there's the favored son, we should just kill him. And then they begin to talk, hey, maybe we should just kill him. I mean, this sounds like a good, let's just, let's just kill him. And then one of the brothers speaks up with some comments and says, guys, we can't kill him. He's our brother. I've got a better idea. Let's sell him as a slave so we can profit from it. I don't know what these people are thinking. Like, that is some serious family issues. But they literally capture Joseph, sell him as a slave, and they come out of it with some money. They bring the, that, like, beautiful rainbow coat back to their dad, all cut up. They dip it in animals, but and say, look, Joseph's dead. But we came out of it with, like, 50 bucks. This is awesome. <laughs> so his dirty brothers did a dirty thing to him. We call this the, the poop image. His 11 brothers basically tried to ruin Joseph's life. And I, I feel like I might be offending you or offending God, so we're going to jump back to that other one. <clears throat> they d- basically sell Joseph into slavery. Now, Joseph winds up in the land of Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, things go really good for him, and then things go really bad. And then things go really good, and then things go really bad. Working his way all the way up through his life till finally he becomes the, literally like the vice president of Egypt. He's the second in command over the entire nation, and, and the pharaoh kind of trusts Joseph. He said, hey, Joseph, I trust you. I trust your God. Just run Egypt the way you think it needs to be run. Joseph interprets one of Pharaoh's dreams to say that, that there's this famine coming. So he begins to prepare by storing all the food, preparing for the famine. And sure enough, famine hits. 
famine comes across the land, and people all across the, this continent are starving, looking for food, and they try to go to Egypt to get food. Sure enough, Joseph's brothers are one of them. His brothers are starving, his fathers are starving, so they head to Egypt to get food, and who do they bump into? Sure enough, they bump into Joseph. And Joseph immediately recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And they have this incredible conversation. I mean, you guys should read your Bible. The, fa- the story of Joseph is absolutely fascinating. They have this incredible conversation where Joseph kind of leads them to, to, so they can discover who he is, almost like this little smirk on his face. And he's just baiting them and baiting them until finally they realize, oh my gosh, it's you, Joseph. And they're so excited and they all run. And it's, it's like, you know, they're reunited and it feels so good. They're just excited, and Pharaoh's excited, and Pharaoh gives them land, and he gives them food, and this whole family is kind of excited to be together again. And God blesses this family, and this family grows, and it grows, and this family begins to grow even more, and it begins to turn into a nation. This group of people that, this, this, that starts off with like Jacob the father and these 12 brothers, it grows, and it grows, and it grows, until we get to one person in particular. Now, this nation grows so much that the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh who was there over this this course of time, he dies off, Jacob dies off, Joseph dies off, all the brothers die off, and this new Pharaoh is there, and he's looking out at at this this nation of Israel, and he's thinking, guys, we got to do something. Like, these people are like rabbits. They just don't stop, and they're growing, and they're growing, and if we don't do something to corral them soon, they're going to take over. They're going to, like, rule us. We have to do something. So here's what they decide to do. They take this nation that has been growing and growing and they enslave them. And they make them their slaves and their workforce. And then something happens with one person in particular. This man named Moses. And the reason we gave him the scared eyes is because of what God's going to ask him to do in a minute. This nation, uh, this family, this huge group of people over the course of time become enslaved to the people of Egypt. For over 400 years, they're slaves. And they're crying out to God. God, hear our cry. God, set us free. This isn't what we want. I thought there was a better life. And God finds Moses. Moses uh, grew up um, with this incredible life as well. You should read his story. Through a set of circumstances, he's this Hebrew child who grows up in the house of Pharaoh, and he's almost raised up like Joseph, where he has authority and he has, he has position, he has title. And then he makes a really stupid decision. At 40 years old, he makes an awful decision, and he's got to run and flee for his life. So he flees Egypt and he lands in in this desert, this land of Midian. And he's there for 40 years, running and trying to escape his past, escape the stupid decision he made. And God finds Moses one day. And God tells Moses this, Hey Moses, I've heard the cries of the people. I know they've been enslaved. And I know this isn't the life they want and it isn't the life I've wanted for them. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to set them free. But I'm going to set them free, free rather, through you. I want you to go to that land. And I want you to set my people free. And that's hence the scary eyes. So this is where our story picks up. Moses, hearing the call of God, heads out to Pharaoh. He goes back into Egypt. He goes back to meet with the Israelite leaders to basically tell them this. Hey, God has heard your cries. This isn't the, this isn't the promise that God had for Abraham or our, our forefathers, Isaac or Jacob. He wants to bless you. He wants to do something radical with you. He wants to set you free. He tells this to the, to the leaders of the Israelites. And of course, they're thrilled. Like, finally, finally someone hears us. Finally, someone heard our cry. We're going to pick up with this story in Exodus uh, chapter 6, verse 6. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is God saying this to, to Moses. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke. 
That's the yoke of slavery, the heavy yoke of the Egyptians. He keeps going. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And I will bring you to the land. And you may have heard of this land. This is the promised land. This is the land that was promised to them, promised to their forefathers. This is like, like the fully alive life for every person in Israel. I'm going to lead you to this land. I swear with uplifted hand to give to Abraham. Remember these guys? This is Abraham, this is Isaac, this is Jacob, or nicknamed Israel. I will give it to you as a possession for I am the Lord. Now in this really powerful moment, here's what what basically is going on. God has has promised something to their forefather, to to, uh, Abraham. And that promise has transferred all the way down, but these people haven't seen it. This nation of Israel has lived their entire lives, generations of lives in slavery, feeling like they're at like the bottom of the barrel, that no one knows, that no one remembers, that God somehow doesn't hear, that God doesn't know where they are. And this is God coming back into life saying, I've heard you, I know where you are, and I know you're feeling here, but I want you to be up here. I'm going to remove you from here, and I'm going to take you to the thing that I've always promised for you. This isn't the life I've promised. This isn't how I want you to live. This is a life that is partially dead. And we think our lives are partially dead. We're like, you know, four or eight. This is like bottom of the barrel kind of stuff. We have lived in slavery. All we know is slavery. The promise that was for us, we haven't seen. And God is stepping back into their lives saying, I'm going to give you what I've always promised you. I heard your cries and I'm taking you from there to where I want you to be so I can bless you. I'm bringing you to your promised land. I want to bring you to your fully alive life. This is an incredible story. And the story goes on even more. From here, Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he tells Pharaoh, you remember the movie, The Ten Commandments, with Charleston Heston? He stomps his staff, let my people go! Moses says that to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh kind of laughs, like, yeah, no, not happening. And then this power struggle occurs where Pharaoh tries to state his dominance and his power, and God comes through with these incredibly powerful acts. We call them the plagues. Multiple plagues come. And they begin to wear Pharaoh down until finally Pharaoh's like, I'm done. Take them and go. Take all of your people and get out of here. So Moses leads over a million people out of Egypt, a million people who had been enslaved for over 400 years. They leave with all of their possessions, all of the, some of the possessions of the Egyptians, and they take off across the desert, stepping into freedom for the very first time. But here's the problem. All they knew was slavery. For all of them, for the generations that were stepping into freedom for the first time, all they had ever lived in was slavery. Slavery was normal. Slavery was their reality. They didn't know what it meant to live free. They get their first taste of freedom. They step out of this this nation that had oppressed them, and they step into freedom, and Moses leads them out of Egypt to the Red Sea. And this Red Sea is this beautiful place, but it's it's huge and it's daunting. And they're, they're not sure how to get around. Like, how do we cross this? And they're there and they're waiting. And what happens? Pharaoh changes his mind. Pharaoh gets all of the chariots and all of the army and he begins to hunt down the Israelites so that he can capture them and oppress them and make them slaves once more. And the people of Israel are facing the Red Sea. They hear the chariots coming behind them and they panic. They worry, they fear, and they begin to question God. And imagine this. God led them out of this nation. God did some incredible like, acts, like he said, these mighty acts of judgment, these plagues that were sent. He's with them now as a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. They can literally see the presence of God. And they get a little worried because some people are coming after him. And they go up to Moses facing the Red Sea, and they say this to Moses. This is in chapter 14. They said to Moses, this is the entire Israelite nation, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? 
I mean, it sounds like you're dealing with a middle school kid, right? Like, you don't like me. You hate me. No, I, I love you. I just gave you dinner. No, you hate me. You hate me. It's like there's no talking to them. There's no sense in this. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you while we were in Egypt, leave us alone? And Moses is thinking, no. For hundreds of years, you prayed for the opposite. You should have left us in Egypt, he says. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And now you can only imagine at this point, God's kind of looking down from heaven thinking, oh, what is wrong with these people? Like, could, could I, couldn't I have chose a better group of people? Couldn't I have chose a better nation? Somebody with a little more gratitude and appreciation? But here's what the Israelites are facing. All they knew was slavery. They didn't understand freedom. They didn't understand making decisions. They didn't understand risk. They were born slaves. They were bred slaves. And many of them died slaves. And at their first taste of freedom, when there's an opposition, they fear it and they move away from it. It's almost like the thief came and took away their freedom instantly. And then in that gap of where they are, in that, that gap of where they are as slaves and where they want to be in, as a fully alive life, there's a thief robbing from them. And it's easy for us to look at the nation of Israel and say, you guys should have known better. I mean, you could literally see the presence of God. But don't we kind of act the same way they do sometimes? We've dealt with this thing for years. We've carried this burden around. We've carried our past around. And it's just kind of, it lingers there and it lingers there. And then the, <clears throat> the first moment for us where we have to deal with it, it kind of shows its head again. We get scared and we pull away. You see, slavery was normal for them. That was their life. That was their reality. And the first time trouble comes up, they get scared. The first time the thief shows its face, the people of Israel get scared. And they begin to question the goodness of God story goes on. It's not done yet. Right? They, they face the Red Sea. And Moses, God talks to Moses. Moses uh, puts his staff up and the water parts. And the people of Israel cross the Red Sea on dry land. Eventually, Pharaoh's army catches up and all the Egyptians, they're racing across the Red Sea. And the Red Sea folds in on them and swallows them up. And you'd think to yourself at this point, you know, that's it. Like, surely the people of Israel, like, they get it. Right? They'd come up, they like walk out of the Red Sea watching their enemies completely being consumed by the water, thinking, okay, clearly God's on our side. God, we were wrong. We believe you. We, we are fully invested. We believe you have the best in store for us. We believe, God, that you are for us fully. But that's not how the story goes. A few chapters later, we read this. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Aaron was the high priest of Israel. He was also Moses' blood brother. These people begin to grumble against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites say to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I mean, this plays out like, like a bad soap opera, doesn't it? It's like you've seen what God has done. You've witnessed his, his miracles. You've witnessed this mighty act, yet you continue to question as if God doesn't have your best interest in mind. And, and you can kind of sense God's sarcasm in his answer. They want food, they want meat, so God sends them food. In the morning, he sends them a food product they'd never seen before called manna. It was all over the ground, and they could pick it up and store it. And then at night, he sends them quail. And if you ever had quail, quail's delicious. He sends so much quail, it's almost like God saying, you want meat? Here's meat. The author actually tells us they had so much meat, it was literally coming out of their noses. Maybe he meant it more figuratively. We don't know. You can kind of sense God's sense of humor here. You grumbling, complaining people, here you go. You want some meat? Have some meat. You won't even know what to do with it all. You'd think at the end, 
Okay, clearly God's on board. Clearly God has our best interest in, in mind. Clearly God is for us. But just the next chapter later, we find a similar scenario play out again. But the people were thirsty for water. <clears throat> they were uh, for water there, and they grumbled against Moses again. They said, why do you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? I mean, you can just, it's, it's just this constant complaining, this constant grumbling, constant struggling, constantly, and if I can say it this way, constantly being robbed, being robbed of the life that God wants for them, being robbed of the potential that awaits them, being robbed of what's maybe right in front of them, constantly feeling like they can't get it, like they're always going to struggle. Like the worst is going to happen. What's wrong with these Israel? Like what's the problem, really? What's, what's the problem? Why do they continue to grumble? Why does it, this, this kind of theme continue to recur and recur and recur in this nation of Israel? Could it be that there was a thief that was robbing the very thing that God was trying to lead them into? Could it be that there was a thief that was taking the goodness that God was giving them? You know, last week we looked at an illustration that Jesus gave us in the book of John. John chapter 10, verse 10. I told you this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. Last week we looked at the end of, of that passage of Scripture. Right? We focused on it a lot. The end of the Scripture says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or in other words, to have the fully alive life. But we need to look at the beginning this week because the beginning kind of stands in opposition to that. And the beginning says this, but the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You see, we, God wants you to have life. God wants you not just to have a life, but a good life, a life to the full. But there is something that stands in direct opposition to that life that God wants for you. There is something that stands in direct opposition of you becoming all that you can be and living the life that you could live. There is a thief that stands between you and the life that God had promised you. And that thief continues to steal your joy and your happiness and your relationships and your kids and your job. It stands in the way of all that God has. You see, if we were to go back to Israel and ask them, hey, what's robbing you? My guess is they'd have some really good answers. We were hungry. There was no food. We were thirsty and we couldn't find water. We were scared. You know, we, were, we just got our freedom and now Pharaoh's chasing us down and we were, we were cornered in the Red Sea. We didn't know where to go. We, we, we were worried. You know, Moses, he went up to the mountain to talk to God for like a day and a half and, and we didn't know what was going to happen. Those are some really good answers, but, but let me bring it back to us today. If I were to ask you in your life and where you are in that number chart and why you aren't at your fully alive life, at your 10 out of a 10, and I were to ask you, hey, what's robbing you What's robbing you from feeling fully alive? What would the answer be? You see, for the Israelites, they would say Egypt was robbing us. Our hunger was robbing us. Our thirst was robbing us. Fear, maybe that was robbing us. Like we weren't sure what to do. You know, maybe that time Moses went up to that mountain for a day and a half and talked to God and we built those gold idols. Maybe it was the gold idols that were robbing us. What would be your list? What is robbing you? And my guess is if we were to make a list, we would, we'd all have something in common. We, right? we put a little list together here for you. What's your thief? And what's robbing you? Is, is it your job? Do you hate it that much that every morning you wake up, it's like it's every ounce of energy and strength to get up and go to work? Is it your family, 
You just, you can't stand your brother. You, you, have you met my mom? Have you met my kids? Really, you should meet my husband or, or my, like, it's just your family. And it robs your joy and it keeps you limited. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe it's your possessions. You know, you, you thought your possessions would make you happy so you went into debt to buy these things and now you look at your possessions and you think, that's my thief. They literally rob my joy. I work all this time to pay for them and I can't enjoy them. I have all these possessions and I'm not happy. My life isn't better. I don't feel fully alive. I feel indebted to my possessions. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe you don't feel like you don't have friends or maybe your friends limit you. Maybe your friends aren't the friends you want to have. Maybe it's your debt. We spend and we spend and we spend to impress people we don't like with things that we don't need. And now we're in debt and, and we would say, if you were to ask me what my thief is, my thief is my debt. It robs every ounce of peace and joy I have. Maybe it's your calendar. I've talked to so many people where they're just so busy on their calendar. I mean, the calendar would look like we're living full lives, but I look at it and I think, no, it takes, it takes everything out of me. I have no time. I'm running constantly. I'm so busy. I have no peace. If you were to ask me what my thief is, it's my calendar. I wish I had some margin in my time. I wish I had some margin in my life. And we look at these answers, and the truth is these are really good answers. And, and there's some really valid answers, and there's some truth to this. But if we dug a little deeper, if we dug just a little deeper, maybe we would find even answers that are more true. Remember I said we're not going to dig with little garden spades and break the surface. We want to dig a little deeper. What if we dug a little deeper? What if, what if we were to ask the Israelites, hey, hey what's, really, what's really causing you to not live fully alive? What's really the thief in your life? What's really keeping you from living that fully alive life? They would say things like this. Well, maybe it wasn't the fact that we were hungry. Maybe it wasn't even the Israelites. Maybe we were just fearful, right? Maybe there was fear. Maybe fear was the thief. Maybe it's bitterness, right? There's there's something that happened to you and you just can't seem to get over it and it keeps coming back and it makes you bitter and and it hurts you and it affects you and I just can't move past that. I can't can't overcome this thing that just made me so bitter. Bitterness is my thief. Maybe it's your past and if the past is showing up now and affecting your future, it's no longer your past. But I can't move past my past. My past is my thief. Maybe it's discontentment. Maybe it's the idea that maybe these possessions would have made me happy, but the truth is they're not. I have everything I need. I even have some of the things I want, but I don't have what you have. I don't have everything. So there's this discontentment. Discontentment is my thief. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's just like a moral issue where you know you shouldn't be doing it, but but it it just robs you. You don't know how to break it, and it's robbing your life. You see, these are all really good answers. And these are kind of easy for us to diagnose. It's easy for us to look at the story in in Israel and say, oh, well, this was really the cause. You know, it wasn't that they were hungry. It's that they were worried that there was fear. Would we have food? There was fear. Would God protect us? But here's what I find interesting. When you look at all of these answers, if we kind of boiled all of this down, there's this commonality in every one of those answers. And it's something that we got to dig really deep for, and it makes us a little bit uncomfortable to even go beyond this level, to really discover what is the thing that's keeping you from living fully alive. And when we we kind of boil down even deeper, when we dig a little deeper than even that, here's what we find, is that there is this common thread in all of these things. And the common thread is spiritual. That all of these things have a spiritual connection. That when it comes down to it, 
We will never really live fully alive if part of us doesn't really believe. That there is this, this unbelief in us. There is this unbelief in every one of those areas. You see, it's really not fear. When you look at the fear in your life, you look at the fear with the Israelites, it's really not fear that was, that was their thief. It was the, this unbelief that God would protect them. And with this contentment, it really wasn't the idea that I needed these things, that these things would make me happy, and that was my thief. It was the, the thief was really the unbelief that God would provide all that you need. And with my anger, there's this anger in me, and that's my thief. No, the thief is really the unbelief that God would take vengeance. Unforgiveness is my thief. No, it's the unbelief that God has forgiven you and has freed you up to forgive others. You see, for all of those areas, no matter how good that answer is, there is a spiritual connection. There is this, this spiritual component to all of them that runs underneath it. Really what it comes down to is belief. Do you believe God is who he says he is? And do you believe God will do what he promised to do? And for all of us, as we look at our lives and we look at that gap where that thief is, from where we are and where we ultimately want to be, the thief stands in that gap and it robs you of the life you can have. But the thief really is our unbelief. It's our unbelief that God's going to do what he said he would do. It's our unbelief that God has your best in mind. It's your unbelief and our unbelief and my unbelief that God will keep his promises. You see, we will never live fully alive if we only partially believe. It's impossible. God wants us to be at a place where he can say, there you are. Now I can bless you. Now we can do something together. But if we only ever partially believe, we'll never fully live. And I know this is uncomfortable. I know we don't like this. We want to come to church and we want to feel good about things. But the only way for us to feel good is to kind of dig a little bit and find out what that unbelief is in us. The only way for us to get to where we want to be is to do a little work this morning and find out what is that unbelief in me? What is keeping me from reaching my full potential? You see, for some of us, when we're faced with this, we get a little scared, a little bit like the Israelites, and think, man, it'd be easier to just go back, wouldn't it? It'd be easier to just turn and go the other way. I, maybe I, I'm just, I'm happier with like that six out of 10. I don't want to do the hard work. I don't want to face it. For some of you, you know exactly what that unbelief is. You know what the thief is, and you've kind of kept it in the corner, hoping no one ever pays attention to it, hoping it never like shows its ugly face. And when it does, you get upset and you get uncomfortable, and instead of dealing with it, instead of facing the truth so that you can overcome and get to where you want to be and where God wants you to be, we begin to pull back like the Israelites. Well, it would be easier to go back to Egypt and die. I'd be happier with the 6 out of 10 than have to face this and get to the 10 out of 10. It's so much easier for us to pull away. But as a Jesus follower, you need to know you can have a 10 out of 10 life. But you have to believe. You see, the only way for us to get to where we want to be, the only way for us to get to where God wants us, uh, wants us to be is to activate our belief by actively obeying God. It's painfully simple, but sometimes it's also very painful. What areas of our life aren't we honoring God? What areas of our life aren't we obeying God? What areas in our life are causing unbelief? Is it unbelief that God loves you? Is it unbelief that God has a plan for you? Is it unbelief that God has something good in store for you? Is it unbelief that he will protect you? Is it unbelief that he will provide for you? Is it unbelief that he's forgiven you? Is it unbelief that he wants you to have some margin in your life? 
so that you can rest and be all that you can be? What's keeping you from reaching your full potential? And I know it's uncomfortable. I can sense the uncomfortableness in you from here. I can see it on some of your faces. But if we're ever to get to where we want to be, if we're ever going to live the life that God wants us to live, we've got to face it. Face the truth. Dig a little deeper and face our unbelief. Faith for us really is just as faith is being certain of what we hope for. Activating our faith is being certain of what we hope for. It's being certain of the things we cannot yet see. And if God said he would do it, faith is being certain that God will do it. If God said he loves you, faith is being certain even when you don't feel loved that God loves you. We activate our faith by actively obeying God. We all have things in our life. We all have those areas. And sometimes we bump up against the truth of God and it is so uncomfortable and it makes us run for the other direction. But this morning, I want to encourage you, don't run back like the Israelites wanted to. Push forward. Push through to the life that you want and the life that God wants for you. You see, the gap in our lives, that leads to the thief and that leads to our unbelief. I don't know for you, maybe it's a generosity thing. Maybe it's a debt thing. Maybe it's a morality thing. You know exactly what God wants of you morally, but, but the, the morality in your life now is so normalized, you have no idea how you can even change or move beyond it. And the hardest part for us is, is as we begin to think through this, we begin to think, but if I have to actively obey God, doesn't, doesn't something in my life have to change? And, and the truth is, I know that's an uncomfortable thought, but it's a thought we all have. And really, it's a thought we all need to face. That if I, here's the question for you, if I decide to obey God, and you get to fill this in, this is an underline for you, something will need to change. That if I'm not where I want to be, if I'm at an eight, if I'm at a seven, if I'm at a nine, and I see the 10 and I want to get there, if I'm not where I need to be, that fully alive life, then something's going to need to change. What is that something for you? And we got to get uncomfortable with it, but God's coming down saying, yes, something will change. You won't be partially dead. We'll get you to a place where you can live fully alive. That's what I want for you. What needs to change? What's the something in your life that if you decided right now to actively obey God, that thing would need to change? It's a tough question. It's going to require some conversation. It's going to require some digging but I believe it's a question worth answering because knowing that will help you overcome and get you to the place where God wants you to be so that you can live a life to the full, not just a life. What if our thief really is our unbelief? I'm not sure if you know how the story in Exodus ends. It's not a very uh, great story. It's kind of tragic. Eventually, the people of Israel, they do make it to the promised land. It took 40 years. And every person that was there at the beginning that stepped out of Egypt into freedom for the first time, every one of those people died off before they made it to the promised land. Do you know why? Because of their unbelief. Because they couldn't believe that God was who he said he was and that God would do what he promised to do. They never received the life that God wanted from them. They never received their promised land. And I believe with all of my heart that God has a promised land for you. That God has that promised land, that fully alive life for you. That 10 out of a 10. The question is, do you believe?
Or is there an area of your life where unbelief is dominating your life? I believe that place has been customized and created just for you. What if the thief really is your unbelief? We see so many times as Christians, we get scared. And, you know, we, we say all the time, God doesn't want something for you. God wants something for you. Or God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And he does. He wants you to have that fully alive life. But for some of us, it's going to take releasing our control a little bit. And we don't like that, do we? There, there's, that means we have to trust something we can't see. It means we have to trust something we don't fully understand. And we hold on tight with, with closed hands because we're just not sure. I just don't know that I can trust. I just don't know that I can give it up. I don't know that I, I can face my past. I don't know that I can let the bitterness go. I don't know that I can give up on my hold, on my life, and my future, and for some of us, even our past. And God's saying, with your closed hands, I can never give you what you need. But if you could open them, you're so worried you're going to lose something, but the truth is, if you open your hands, I can give you exactly what you need. You see, open hands are for receiving. God's saying, if you would just open and let me in, I could lead you to that fully alive life. I've never met anyone in my life who said yes to God, and God kind of took a step back and was like, oh, that's great, I'm so proud of you, have a good life, we'll see you in a few years. You see, any person that's willing to say, God, I, I, I release control, I bring you in. Any person who says yes to God, it's like God's looking down with the biggest smile, saying, I have been waiting your whole life for this. Finally, you're where I want you to be. I, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm going to walk with you. I can bless you. I can lead you into that fully alive life. Finally, you've let me in. What if the reason you're not living the fully alive life, what if the reason you're a four or a six or an eight is because your thief is really your unbelief? What if God had so much more in store and all it took was you believing, actively obeying, God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he promised to do. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this incredible word. I thank you for this incredible story of the people of Israel. There's so much history, God, and I know it happened thousands and thousands of years ago, but we can look at this story and this recurring theme, and we can see it in our own lives. How easy for us it is to pull away, God, when we're faced with the truth, when we're faced maybe with our unbelief, but I pray this morning, God, that you would give us the wisdom to see what that unbelief is, to have the, that hard conversation, to develop that answer, to see the unbelief, and then give us the courage to move past it, God. For some of us, it's going to mean uncovering our past, dealing with things we've hidden, God, dealing with things we don't want to admit our issues. But I pray that you'd give us the wisdom to see it and the courage to get through it. And then, God, I pray you would lead us into that fully alive life where we can live as a 10 out of 10 every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.